All right. Well, good morning again. <laughs> Get to switch gears here. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter four. Um, I'm going to read the first 14 verses. And so if you're tuning in, we're kicking off our fall series. Um, what, what I've been doing in the last year or so is is looking at the big story of the Bible, trying to see seeing Jesus in the in the Old Testament. And so we got as far as numbers. And so we're going to pick up again here in Deuteronomy. And but I want to slow down and meditate on the Ten Commandments this fall. And so my plan is to spend a couple weeks introducing the Ten Commandments because as soon as you ask anyone uh, about God's commandments and how they how they apply to the Christian, should they apply to the Christian, right? Do I have to do anything now that God loves me, right? It's, there's so many questions and controversies on top of some of the really weird Old Testament things. So um, if, I'm not going to be able to touch everything. If you have questions, right, pick my brain. Pastor Jim has all the answers I don't, <laughs> right? It just these are things that people have been wrestling with for thousands of years, would encourage you to ask. Um, and so this morning, we're going to look at Deuteronomy 4. This is part of Moses's introductions to telling the, the Ten Commandments a second time. And so this is Deuteronomy 4. Let's listen to God speak to us today. And turn the page here. This is God's word. It says, and now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them. And do them, for that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And when he came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, <clears throat> while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, 
wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. And this is the word of our God. He has spoken to us today in love. His word is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for this eternal, steadfast, immovable love that you have set upon us. And I pray that as we meditate on your good law, Lord, that you would teach us to use it well, to use it wisely, and to use your law to be a blessing to the nations, as you have called us to be. And so help us now to love your mercy, to do justice, and walk humbly with Jesus, we pray. Amen. So what was the last thing that that you read about Christians in the newspaper? Was it positive or negative? It's a newspaper, right? They gotta they make money by only reporting the bad news. But I know in the last week, another yet another pastor was in the New York Times for a public moral failure, right? Not not full on adultery, um, but foolish conversations with a, someone not his wife, and it made the New York Times, right? And so. There's another example of faith in front of other people. This is much more ordinary, right? There's a young teenager grows up in a neighborhood and she has friends who are, are Christians. And she grows up agnostic, never goes to church as a kid. But every time she enters into a Christian home, she says, I just get good vibes about these families because they seem more peaceful. There's more forgiveness. There's yes, less yelling in their home. She's now a young adult wrestling and starting to read the Bible for the first time for herself and follow Jesus. Right. So the point is, like what this text is getting in front of us is that our ethics, our our commitment to Jesus and his commandments is always lived out in front of a watching world, right? A watching community. That you and I live our faith in in the sight of our neighbors. That's what Moses says, keep these statutes and rules that God commanded them, keep them, do them, because it's going to be your wisdom in view or in sight of the peoples, the nations, everyone around. And they're going to have something to say, right? And so it's really interesting that unbelievers, peoples of different faiths are going to have something to say about God, about his laws, about his commandments, about the quality of life that it's forming and shaping, all if Israel would actually obey, (laughs) right? And so as we jump into the Ten Commandments and this vision of the good life that the Bible lays out for us, and this is Moses' introduction, one of the big reasons given for keeping the Ten Commandments is, hey, God saved you by grace to use your faith to be a blessing to the nations. Uh, It's part of the big theme of the Bible that one family, one group of people are blessed by God that they may make 
God known to the ends of the earth. And so this is the introduction to the Ten Commandments, that it's not just to make us look good. It's not just for our own personal peace and sanity. It's not just to please God. All those things are true. Uh, it's also to be a kingdom of priests to the nations. Uh, there's a missional motivation for obedience laid out here. And so what I want to do this morning is meditate on that because this is how Moses starts his introduction. And part of it, we're going to start with uh, just getting organized and, and familiarized with the book of Deuteronomy. And then we're going to look at this idea of living out our faith before a watching world. And so let's jump into this idea here of what's going on in Deuteronomy. Let's familiarize ourselves. Um, I apologize, but I'm not sorry. It may feel a little bit like a Bible college lecture, but we're in Deuteronomy. This is one of those books, along with Leviticus and Numbers, that Christians tend to avoid. All right. We just don't read the Old Testament. And so just to familiarize ourselves with the story, right, there was it was in our text. In verse three, something happened at Baal Peor. That's actually where we left Israel. Uh, before the summer, because what happened with Israel in Numbers, a guy named Balaam was being paid money to go curse Israel for a neighboring tribe so that they could violently kill them and, and take them over. And Balaam found every time he went to go curse Israel, God wouldn't let him curse Israel. He could only bless them because God refuses to break his promises. He refuses to break his covenant. And so the next thing that happens is rather than trying to attack God's allegiance to Israel, this is Balaam's idea. He says, why don't you send a bunch of women to go seduce Israel to join in your religion, right? To go worship Baal. And there was this event that happened at this place called Peor where um, they committed idolatry. Uh, they committed unfaithfulness to God, and that's what's referred to by Moses here of saying, look, if you had obeyed, you would live, but because you disobeyed, there were severe consequences, and all those who participated in these Vegas-approved moral failures um, were killed. It's, a, it's one of those ugly stories. And as you, after that in Numbers, you're reading it, and it feels like a repeat. So all of a sudden, you get a, a census taken of all the fighting men because they're getting ready to come into the promised land. And then there's a whole bunch of laws again about how to live a life in the land because it's a whole new generation now because after 40 years of wandering in the desert, the kids of those who were set free from Egypt are now going to be given this gift of life in Canaan with God. And that's where Deuteronomy picks up. Right, I just flew through the end of the book, the end of Numbers. Right, and what Deuteronomy is, uh, it's a retelling uh, of God's covenant, of his promises, and all of the expectations that come with it. Right, It's Moses giving his last words before Israel's about to go in, and he passes the leadership baton to Joshua because he's not allowed to go in. <clears throat> And so one of the things you'll notice as you read Deuteronomy 
it's a beautiful book. I mean, there are some fantastic, memorable descriptions of God's grace and his kindness to Israel. Um, to the point that some would say this is the heartbeat of the Old Testament. Uh, it, it's you can feel the as you feel the pulse of Deuteronomy, you're going to get in touch with the life, the rhythm of the whole Old Testament scriptures. It's an important book to read and reread, right? Because when if you keep going in the Bible, you get to Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings. They're constantly looking back to Deuteronomy and say, "See, you guys didn't do what God told you in Deuteronomy." <laughs> Isaiah through Malachi, all the, the later prophets, they're using Deuteronomy to lay out covenant lawsuits to say, God has been so good to you, and look at how you've responded with unfaithfulness. And so Deuteronomy is used again and again to explain not only the, the fairness and rightness of God's judgment, but also the beauty and hope that after moral failure, if you return, God swears that he will forgive and restore and even recreate the, the world, all right? So I say all that, I'm trying to get you motivated to go re read Deuteronomy on your own if you're not already doing so. Um, but one of the, the really helpful comparisons I've, I've found in studying this book is, um, is comparing it to the Gospels. Right? There are four accounts of Jesus' story. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John, the last gospel, is noticeably different. Right? It just reads differently. It's, it, it's written at the end of John's life. He's had years to meditate on the gospel and how to communicate it and how to motivate faith and obedience. You can tell he's been struck by the beauty of Jesus' life and his words. I mean, you can feel it. It's also really persuasive. It's pastoral. It's going after the heart. That The reason John wrote it is he says, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, Son of the living God, so that by believing, you might have life in his name. Right? Well, in the Old Testament, there are four books about the old covenant mediator, Moses, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the one, and Deuteronomy is written at the end of Moses's life after spending years walking with God. It's meditative, it's pastoral, it's persuasive, <laughs> right? What Moses is doing is he's pleading with Israel, I want you to believe the grace of God and keep his commandments. But he says things differently than they were said in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. But the purpose is that Israel would believe and have life in Yahweh's name by keeping his word. It's the same story as John, right? Believe, have life in God's name, his word, Jesus. And so it's just a good, helpful category. Deuteronomy has a lot of really beautiful, helpful things to say. Right? Moses will say at the end of Deuteronomy that this commandment that I am telling you today is not too hard for you. It's not far off. 
it's not in heaven where it's not a mystery as to what you should do uh that you should say who will go up to heaven and bring down god's commandments to us so that we can actually hear it and do it neither is it on the other side of the sea that we should say who will go over there and bring it to us so that we know what to do now god's word is very near to you it's in your mouth it's in your heart so that you can do it i'm setting before you life and death good and evil if you obey the commandments of the lord your god that i command you today by loving the Lord your God and walking in his ways, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord God will bless you. Right? So you hear the idea that Moses is both a pastor and a teacher. That he is not only just saying, here's what you should do, but he says over and over again, I care about your hearts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He'll say things like, circumcise your heart. Cut off all the stubbornness that has made you a giant pain to deal with up until this moment. This moment. Right? It's, it's a covenantal book and also a sermon. Right? And by that, I mean it's, it's a covenant. This is, this is laying out the terms of God's relationship with his people um, to the point where Scholars have found examples of ancient Near Eastern covenants that, that are organized the same way as Deuteronomy, right? Where you have, here's the history of the king. Here's all the good things he's done for you in the past. Here's all the commandments and expectations he's setting of you now that you're entering into a relationship together. Here's the ways he'll bless you if you obey. Here's the ways this king will curse you and not help you if you disobey. There's rewards for obedience, judgment for disobedience, and all the witnesses are listed at the end. And that's how Deuteronomy is organized. Uh, the first four chapters are the, the history of God's faithfulness to Israel. Moses just lays it all out. And then chapters 5 through 11 lay out just general command commandments here's what you must do now that you have the lord as your god right and then what chapters 12 through 26 does is go into more detail <laughs> you have just the 10 commandments let's expand them and say here's how it'll affect your life in the land and then chapters 27 and 28 lay lay out blessings if you obey cursing if you disobey and then you get witnesses at the very end may heaven and earth be a witness to the deal that we're making today, right? I know it's technical, but it's helpful. You need, it's helpful to have an outline that this is what this book is doing, is laying out here is life in relationship with the living God that began with God's gracious beginning of pulling you out of slavery in Egypt. It was his idea to set his affection on you. He didn't do it for any other reason other than he loves you. And is keeping his promises. Right? But if you don't obey, there's consequences. Like a marriage. Right? If there's unfaithfulness, it messes everything up. It causes chaos in the relationship. Right? But it's also a sermon. I mean, Moses uses this covenant structure to preach the gospel again and again. Over and over again. Here's why you should obey. It's not because you were the greatest number of people in the nation. 
right? It's not like you were the largest nation. It's not like you were amazing. It's not like there's anything special about you. This is Deuteronomy 7. No, it's simply because the Lord loves you. Right? That's something the pastor, a pastor says. Do you realize that God loves you? And, and that should affect then the way you live. He really does love you. <laughs> right? He'll say other things like, hey, I love you, but you're also really stubborn. And so there's parts of you that need to change because actually, in the fact, at the end of the book, he said, you're not going to change. And when you fail royally, here's the process to restore your relationship with the living God. When you're in exile in another country and judgment has fallen, if you seek the Lord your God, he will forgive you and he'll bring you home. All right? See, Moses pouring out his heart before he passes away. These are his last words. That's Deuteronomy in about seven minutes, <laughs> right? And I, I love what Deuteronomy 10 says, just get a flavor of it. You know what to do. Love the Lord your God. Walk in his ways. Love him. Serve him with all your heart and soul. Keep his commandments, which I am commanding you to get today. And these commandments are for your good. <laughs> right? So everything you read about what Israel is to do after hearing about how good God has been to them is for the good of God's people. Right? It's good news for, for them. It's good news for the watching world. And that, that leads us into this. We're going to into our sermon text here. All right, so let's take a minute, minute here to meditate on the religious curiosity of the world. This is what Moses assumes, that, that their neighbors are going to see and hear God's law and have their curiosity peaked. They're going to look in and listen and comment and have opinions and, and communicate those things, right? Because you picture Israel, they're in the, the Middle East. There are all kinds of different nations surrounding them who have different gods, different views of morality, different reasons to obey, right? And the commandment here is keep these commandments, do them. It'll make you look good. It'll be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. But they're going to hear that these statutes come from Yahweh, the Lord. In other words, they're going to see the quality of their life together. And it's going to be like light shining in the darkness. Uh, the, the, the beauty of God's commandments lived out will lead them to praise God's work among them. To at least comment on them, to have an opinion, right? It doesn't say faith necessarily, but that's, that's the goal, right? They'll say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Right. And so here's the point. Our neighbors are curious about the Christian faith. They may not come and ask you questions, but to find out you're a Christian, they want to know and see what it what difference does it make to have the Lord your God be in your life? What difference does it make when you can't pay the bills to know Jesus? What difference does it make? Uh when you're in the midst of a conflict and you don't see any way out of it because you're fighting with family members, neighbors, how does Jesus speak into that? 
right? The, the assumption that what the, and the missional motivation that Moses is laying out here is that keeping God's laws is designed to, to raise the curiosity of a watching world. Because they're struggling. They have chaos. They're trying to find something. Maybe there's something better than what I've got. There's something different. Right? And so this is speaking into ancient context, but it's just as true today. Right? So here's, here's an example. This is an ancient prayer. Uh, from the this is from the 7th century BC this is from Nineveh here's somebody outside of Israel who's struggling to figure out their purpose in life right he says may my lord's angry heart be reconciled may the god i don't know be reconciled may the goddess i don't know be reconciled may the god whoever he is be reconciled May the goddess, whoever she is, be reconciled. I do not know the wrong I have done. I have perpetuated unknowingly some kind of abomination to my God. I've broken a taboo of the goddess. Many are my wrongs, great are my sins, but I do not know the wrong I've done, what sin I've committed, what abomination I have perpetrated. So a Lord, a God out there is glowering at me in the anger of his heart. He's making me face all of his fury. A goddess, whoever she is, has laid misery on me. Whoever you are, turn towards me. Though my wrongs be seven times seven, forgive my wrongs as if you were my real father or mother. Let your heart be reconciled. It's a pretty heartbreaking prayer, isn't it? Full of guilt, full of shame, full of fear, but have no idea what am I here to do and what have I done wrong to offend somebody out there, right? Maybe there's someone near who will hear my prayer and have pity and help, right? We may not pray like that, but it's not hard to imagine, is it? Replace God or goddess with me, myself, and I. What have I done to make my life so miserable? How do I forgive myself? Right? We had those conversations. The idea is the world's curious. They're, they're looking in and they're wondering, right? How do you deal with guilt, shame, fear, suffering, conflict? What is the good life? Is there something better than the chaos I'm stuck in? Right? Isaiah will pick up this idea that the nations are interested in God's law in chapter two. And he's saying someday in the future, a day will come when the nations, people from all different tribes face, they're going to come to Jerusalem where Yahweh is, where the Lord is. And they're going to say, let us go up to God's house so that he can teach us his ways. Right? They're going to they're be interested. Or like Isaiah 42 will say, let's look to the ends of the earth, the coastlands. They're waiting for God's Torah, God's instruction, God's law. They're looking for a better way. They're longing for his justice to take place on earth. Right? In other words, they're waiting to see God's law of love lived out before them. They're wondering. And so 
what gets our neighbor's attention if you're Israel and the church, right? Keeping God's commandments. In Deuteronomy, it's not just the good deeds that make something attractive and interesting and powerful. Um, It's also the attitude and motivation behind the laws. Deuteronomy, what it does really well, especially in chapters 12 to 26, is saying, here's what you must do, but here's why you should do it. And the reason you should do it is because this is the way the Lord who loves you treated you. This is the way God is. So imitate him. Right. So, for example, one of the ways we, the church can get the attention of our neighbors is the way we care for the poor. And this is Deuteronomy 15, where it says, if one of your brothers, a Hebrew, goes into debt and becomes your slave, they shall work for you for six years. But on the seventh year, you shall let them go free. There is no lifelong economic slavery in Israel. Right. And they didn't have banks, they didn't have loans, they didn't have the option to declare bankruptcy. So the way you paid off your debts, if you're a poor farmer and there was famine and you couldn't, you couldn't pay your bills to get ahead, you would go work for someone else. And so what Deuteronomy 15 says, not only should you let those people go free, but you should help them get started on their new life. Furnish them liberally, generously from your flocks from your threshing floor, right? Give them grain so they can make bread. Give them wine from your wine press. In other words, don't just forgive their debts and then set them up to fall back into slavery again, right? Provide for them. And what's really interesting then is why? You go, why should I do that? Why should I make myself poorer for the sake of my neighbor? And as it says in Deuteronomy 15, you shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, out of your wine press, as the Lord your God has blessed you. So it was not yours to begin with. It's a gift. You shall give it to him. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day to do this. So care for the poor be generous, do so with humility and compassion because you know what it was like to be a slave in Egypt and you know the way God treated you graciously and abundantly. You should be able to empathize, right? It's not just go set up a corner of your life to do charity. This is like wholehearted, put yourself into their shoes and remember what it was like and remember the gospel. Therefore, obey. Right? It's law, motivation, and attitude. Right? That'll get the attention of your neighbors. They'll go, you guys are really wise and understanding. You understand how the world works. You understand how people work. Right? They might like it or hate it, but they're at least going to get a comment on it. <laughs> right? They're going to say, this is the, the paraphrase. Wow, y'all are amazing. You guys are doing great things. Right. As you keep going, just so no one gets a big head and full of our grown greatness here, Moses makes clear there's no room to boast because the, the next line in verse uh, 
7, Moses says, what great nation is there to have a God so near to us as Yahweh? And what great nation is there that has rules so righteous as all of this law that I'm setting before you? Look at the world. This is, you will not find a better expression of God's law. You go out there, compare to Egypt, Babylon, go, go talk to your neighbors. You will not find a better law of love than what the Lord lays out. Because right? he hears your prayers. He forgives. He draws near. Right? And so what Moses reminds them immediately saying, the nations are going to think you're great. <laughs> but you're going to know it's because the Lord is with you. And you're going to know that it's his commandments that have made you this way. It's a gift. God's law is light in a dark world. You have the gift of actually knowing what you're here for and what to do. And so, do you see God's law in these ways? Like that, that your goodness in the world is always lived out before a watching world. But anytime you get comments, praise, gratitude, thanks, you can also turn around and say, you may not have to say it to them, but you know, the Lord has blessed me. This is what I'm here to do, to pour myself out in service of my neighbor according to his commandments. <laughs> so how do you get there? Well, according to Moses in the beginning, he says, don't you dare change any part of God's word. That's, that's verse two. Right, He says, don't add to the word that I command to you, nor take from it. Right, Human beings don't have the authority to change a law that you don't like. Because it's not our wisdom. It's not our commandments. In other words, to be the kind of person that gets the attention of our neighbors, we're to be formed by God's word and changed and shaped by the commandments, not being the ones forming and shaping God's word and his laws, right? to be more like our preferences. And that, that, this, is, this is the hard message of the Bible in our relativistic age, right? Because I know our, our modern way of wrestling with this, and I, I hear this in person, I hear it, you see it a lot online, right? My God is not like that, so I could never live up to a commandment like that that tells me no. The temptation is always when you go around other people who have different views on how life ought to be lived to change what we believe is to change our views on right and wrong to fit in, to be liked, or to just be affected by the culture in which we live. And what Moses is saying, you can't add to God's word. You can't change it. Not if you want praise to be and to participate in God's mission to redeem all things through you. Right? And so that's part of it. Don't be transformed by the word of the Lord rather than by the words of culture. And second, the way we become a missional people is, is verse nine. Right? Guard yourself from forgetfulness. Right? Moses, after laying all this out, says, take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Right? 
and he's reflecting on the covenant and Mount Sinai and this massive, terrifying visual image they had of a mountain shaking, a mountain on fire, God's voice being heard sounding like thunder, right? Remember that. Remember God spoke to you. Remember the grace he has shown you, redeeming you from Egypt and brought you to this place to enter into the relationship with you. And so you have to work at it. The language is, uh, it says, keep your soul diligently. It means uh, guard yourself intensely. Pay attention to your heart and what you're worshiping, what you're thinking about, what you love. Don't forget the gospel. And, And so not only we're not allowed to change the word, but we need to remember God speaking to us. And then third, teach it. Talk about it with others. Teach your children, he says. Um, he says, make, make known to your children and your children's children. Tell them about your spiritual experience, how you heard God speak to you. Gather the people to me so that I may let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on earth and that they may teach their children. These are the things God said to us. That's what Israel was supposed to do. And so one of the keys to not forgetting the gospel, to being, to be formed by God's word, teaching children, teaching your own children, teaching the children in the community, tell them what God has said and that you've had an experience hearing God's voice and it's made a difference, right? I mean, the way that the vision of life for Israel was to be a community living under God's law. And the way for the the whole community to be affected was to reach the second and third generation, kids and grandkids. (laughs) And so if you want to be interesting in the world, don't just keep your faith to yourself. Teach your kids. Part of the mission of the church. When Jesus says, go make disciples in all the world, uh, baptizing them, teaching them all that I've commanded them, who are the the immediate, easiest disciples to reach? (laughs) It's our children who are in our families and in our churches. Because who else is part of the watching world? Our kids. There are kids growing up outside of the church looking in at their church friends, but our kids who are in the church are watching their parents, right? They're watching, they're listening. Do my parents take God's word seriously? Are they doing the same things they tell me to do? Right? They want to know, does Jesus actually make a difference? What does following Jesus look like? Right? Paul Tripp tells a, a great story when he was an elder at a church, he was a being really impatient. He's, he was a very punctual person. And then he married someone who, who grew up on one of the Caribbean islands. So, right, time is just a, a flow, a direction. And so, again, their family's late to church. And he's an elder saying, you know, what's the church going to think of me? I'm going to be late. And he's getting really grumpy and irritated to the point where he's making snarky remarks at his wife who's getting ready to leave. 
And whatever he said, I don't remember the exact detail. It was unkind enough to the point where one of his kids said, Daddy, do you think Jesus would be happy with the words you're using right now? <laughs> he makes that point is our kids are always listening. And so if we aren't teaching our children the ways of grace, uh, who Jesus is, why we do what we do, the, the motivation behind using kind words, um, right? They're going to hear it from someone else and they're going to get have their vision skewed and misunderstand the gospel. They need to hear it from us, right? And if we're not teaching our children the gospel, they're also absorbing um, all of the sinful parts of us as well. <laughs> we're constantly teaching our kids to love what we love, whatever that is, right? And what, it's one of the funniest things during in 2020 was listening to children talk. And you could hear, I would hear like eight-year-old kids, and it sounds like they just spent all day listening to Fox News or CNN, depending on which point of view they were, they were giving. Because they were being catechized by their parents. And so, right? It's a way to be interesting in the world, to get the attention of our neighbors, teach our children to worship, to love the Lord, and to keep his commandments, to love grace and say, here's why we obey, because God is like this. Now, this, this is going to lead us to the table here. How do you feel about all that pressure? <laughs> right? That you're to be a person who can't change God's word. You're, you're to be a person and a people, right? The church called to pique the curiosity of a watching world. To be the kind of person where you have non-Christian friends that are close enough to actually see you either keep or not keep God's word. So that they know what a life of faith and obedience looks like. That's a call for a church and a, and a family. Right? Are we actually in the community? Right. But that comes with pressure. The weight of God's plan to use my goodness to be a blessing to my neighbors and to not screw it up. Right. So Moses knows the human heart because immediately after telling him what to do, he says, don't forget. <laughs> don't forget. Right? And we worship other things. We teach our kids the wrong things by imitation and and so what we have to ask ourselves as christians reading the old testament what are we what covenant are we called to remember and not forget and it's it's the new covenant the idea is this right what are we called not to forget what word are we not allowed to change what word of god will make your life interesting uh, what word I'm hoping you're getting the idea here. What word of God are we to teach our children? The, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is only that of the Father, but it was seen in the Son, Jesus. Right? That, that's, that's the message of the New Testament, that the word of God you can actually see lived out in the person of Jesus. And the story is he is he became human like us and, and kept the law 
perfectly knowing full well that Israel was not able and neither are we. He was the true light who enlightens everyone through his life. See, Jesus is the true Israel who obeyed the words of the Lord. And where did he obey them? In his public ministry. Right? With a, in front of a watching world, in front of the disciples, in front of the nations. I mean, John makes the point that, uh, that when Jesus died on the cross for our sin, he said in John 12, Jesus, Jesus, when I am lifted up from the earth, the purpose is that I will draw all people to myself. All peoples. That's, that's the nations. That's our neighbors, people from this end, across the street and around the world. Right? It was a, his life was lived in public and his death was public. It was not a secret. Right? And so what makes us interesting is the reason why we now obey as Christians is because Jesus first loved us. That we can say out loud, yeah, I am a selfish, uninteresting person, but Jesus selflessly laid down his life for me, even to death on a cross. And the beauty of his life, loving me while I was still an enemy, gives me the, the spiritual resources I need to go out and love people who are difficult in my life. See, the cross is how Jesus got our attention through his cross and resurrection. That's how he keeps it. That's what we're called to remember as we come to the table. When Jesus says, on the night before he died, uh, when, when you gather together, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is for the remission of sins. Right? Drink it and remember. And then after his resurrection, he sends out his people, uh, his disciples, saying, go live out my commandments. The world will know I love you if you love one another and you keep my commandments. And so, what have you been forgetting as you have broken God's laws in the last week? Right? We're human. This meal that we're about to partake in is reminding you that God really does love you. He set his affection on you. He chose to send Jesus' son, and G Jesus the son willingly said, yes, Father, I will go for them to have his body broken and his blood shed to enter into a better covenant than Israel had, a new covenant, one where the laws of God are written on your heart so that you want to keep them. That's the hope that we're tasting this morning. Right? And the interesting thing is, is you keep God's commandments. You know who you're going to look like in the world? You're going to look like Jesus. You're going to be formed into the image of the one who loved us first. And that, that's what we're going to see again and again in the Ten Commandments. That what will make us interesting and a, and a missional community as we sit under the Ten Commandments Right? The Ten Commandments are God's word. They're forming us to be the kind of person who loves God and loves their neighbor the way Jesus loved God and loved his neighbor. And now by grace, you find, hey, God has fully accepted me. That's what we're about to taste. As if I kept that law perfectly. I am righteous 
in God's sight as Jesus is righteous. He who knew no sin became sin so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. It's, a great, it's the great exchange. Jesus says, I'll take all of your ugly stuff, right? And I'm going to give you my perfect record. I'll pay the, take the curse so that you may be blessed. I'll be rejected so that you can be accepted. And that's, that's the motivation for every, every moment we get it right. And when we do get it right, we're going to say, Lord, I didn't do that. That was your spirit working in me, forming me into Jesus's image. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, get ready to come to the table, I pray you would uh, push your word deeper into our heart, that you would chase away